Hello everyone, I'm Harry Dunlop, Learning and Access Curator at St Mungo's Museum and I'm your host on this very first episode of the Glasgow Museum's podcast. This is very exciting for us as this is something very new and today I'm joined by Dr Tony Lewis, Curator of Scottish History and I'll be asking Tony about the slavery collections as represented in Glasgow Museum's collection. So, Tony, can you tell us what kinds of objects and information did you start off with? We started from knowing what we knew from what people have worked with for generations in Glasgow museums and people what people already knew. I became aware, more aware, of what was in the collections from the time I moved to St Mungo's Museum in 2003 because it was only as a learning assistant working in education and access department as it was, because it was only two years later when the, in 2005, when Zuma's uh, Ku Klux Klan exhibition, the photographic exhibition came. So that was a great grounding. And then just two years after the Ku Klux Klan exhibition, 2007, was the abolition of slavery commemorations that Glasgow participated in. And of course that upped the game for being more aware of issues around slavery at the time. So every museum in Glasgow, I think, had something to deliver around a public programme or or an object that they selected to interpret. And it was in that very same year that the Conservation Department cleaned the Glassford family portrait at Kelvin Grove in public. So there was two conservators out there cleaning it all the time. And it was because of that kind of work that we found out that the the story about the slave boys standing behind John Glassford in his seat had been painted over wasn't true. It was just covered in dirt. So it was because of the work that I was doing and because of the work that Glasgow Museums were doing, I became increasingly more aware about what was out there. But it wasn't until I became a curator that I got in and amongst the collections more and more and found a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Uh, more so when the work between 2011 and 2014 for the How Glasgow Flourished exhibition here in Glasgow when the Commonwealth Games were on in 2014. And having spent three years focusing in on the collections and we decided to have a case all about slavery that I'd, I'd be- I began to know a little bit more in detail about the collections. So since your initial interest and development of um, knowledge about the slavery uh, as represented within Glasgow Museum's collection, what kind of other um, collection-based um, objects are emerging in your research? Well, if we started off with images like the slave boy and the Glassford portrait as being a representation of somebody, we don't know his name, but it was somebody then looking for something similar. So I went to the borough collection, we found a, ta- a piece of tapestry, again with a slave boy carrying this time a woman's trail, a piece of embroidery work. We found um, images of, of other slaves and prints, uh, um, like, like William Hogarth prints. We found coins um, such as trade tokens uh, with images of slave people, this time for Glasgow-based industries. So, you know, there was more and more coming through the more we looked at. And ever since the exhibition came up, uh, we built on that with a public programme. We would we had a, a web page with thanks to the Raw Society uh, of Edinburgh who gave us um, some money to develop a web page. And we had experts coming in 
delivering papers about objects in the collection. So uh, we had uh, Dr. Michael Morris talking about a teapot. Um, we had Dr. Simon Newman talking about uh, the general Glasgow economy. Dr. Tom Devine, Professor Tom Devine, talking about the Glassford portrait. So all these experts giving their testimonies and then making that accessible for school kids by editing the website down and their talk into little bite-sized chunks. That was a step forward in knowing a bit more and making it more accessible. The book introducing uh, George in Glasgow uh, was a big step forward because that became a, a really good seller. Um, so that worked for us. The Apple app, uh, How Glasgow Flourished, as well, gave people more access to the collections. They had over 200 images from the collections that on a map of Glasgow, so they could take themselves around the Georgian city. That gave them more access if you're associating the slave life in Glasgow with what the city actually looked like at the time. Because although we've got the street names, Buchanan Street in the 1780s doesn't look like Buchanan Street now. So the, 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 the city's changed. It gave it a chance for people to step back in time and understand the spaces that people were living in, the, the, the spaces slaves would have known. Uh, but um, then we have uh, digital media that we've got today, like our Facebook, our web pages, our tweets, and the like about the work that we're doing. And today, here we are having a go at a podcast. This is all really fascinating, Tony. Quite clearly, a lot of work has been done um, in partnership with other um uh, researchers, professionals and other organisations. Can you share with us any recent or newer displays that visitors can see in Glasgow museums about slavery? Aye, um, I can. Um, Glasgow Museums has got a strategy of displaying something to do with Glasgow and slavery in every venue. So there's panels in Province Law Chip Garden, there's panels in Goma, in the stairwell, uh, there's new labels in uh, the People's Palace around the Glassford portrait and the slave collar and the like. And this work is going to continue. We're working on displays for here at Kelvin Grove, where there's um, John Messner's display, the blockade busters in Riverside. And so if people coming into Glasgow Museums in the future can expect to see a story or a display about slavery, Glasgow and slavery in the future. So that's something we're committed to. You can also uh, look at legacies of slavery in Glasgow museums and collections online for the blogs that all of the curatorial team and others are writing towards it, and vlogs as well. We had a volunteer, Erin, uh, who gave a vlog about her, the research that she's been doing uh, with us as a group on Glasgow's customs and excise vessels at the Mitchell, and that got something like 6,000 people viewing it within uh, the matter of hours. So working with other people, working with volunteers, working with members of the community, as well as the museums and academics, all add to what we know and add to this momentum that we have, this commitment we have uh, to presenting the information about the subject and finding more about the collections. Thanks for that, Tony. And finding out more about the collections, can you, can you share with us um, a bit more information about that wonderful, wonderful portrait that hangs in the People's Palace, the Glassford portrait, a portrait that many of us... Um, are familiar with. Who is the figure behind John Glassford? Well, we don't know his name, but we know that the, he's one of a kind. Uh, of Not everybody in Glasgow had an old, their own personal uh, black slave. Uh, it's a status symbol for the very rich. It's a, a symbol that you, you've made it in society if you have a, a personal servant like this. I, but we can't really call them a servant. They are a slave by the 1760s. It's not until 1777 that Scotland makes slavery illegal in Scotland. And thereafter, black people are called servants. 
but that is immediately becomes a legacy of of slavery and empire um the person who stands behind it is probably uh, a footman of some kind or someone who's doing uh, any and all kind of duties in the Mitchell Library, although we can't find any papers about Glassford's boy, we can find uh, some papers about similar kind of boys, uh, such as the Bogles of Daldare. And today I associate Daldare with a big crematorium. But back in the 1700s, it's where the Bogle family had a big house. And they, they like many other Glasgow businessmen of the time, are an international business. They just happen to be based in Glasgow. So they've got interests in India, they've got interests in the Caribbean, they've got interests in America, they've got interests in Europe. And they send their tobacco and they also that you get from America, but they also send Glasgow made products around all these places in return for other products. So they can ship Glasgow textiles to India, but in return they can get nutmeg and peppercorns and spices to go over to America. And on and on and on. So it's genuinely well trained. They had a black servant boy called Andrew, who's a teenager, and their letters between each other describe what Andrew did for them. And it's a remarkable range from dentistry, where he gets to pull teeth out of their master's heads, or they can, they, they can go and run errands, uh, or they can pour drinks, or they can do this. Often enough, the um, boys are trained to do Pacific jobs like barbering, so they would shave their masters or they prepare their master's wigs, or they would help dress their master's. So there's an element of valet, as well as jack-of-all-trades. So, Tony, can I ask, um, where did... I mean, it's wonderful to have a name, somebody who actually has a name, possibly not his his real name, but it's wonderful to to give one of these characters, um, these real human beings, a name. Where did people like Andrew come from? Well, we don't know. Um, When they say black boy... Uh, Black Boy can refer to India as well as it can do to Africa or America or the Caribbean. So it's hard to know. Andrew is a rather troubled teenager who gets into various arguments with other members of the servant team at Daldari. So they send him away to India. Uh, But we don't know um, uh, whether he was originally Indian or not. In newspapers of the time for descriptions of runaway slaves, there's one Glaswegian um, slave who's obviously an American North Indian, and but yet described as a as a black boy. But we know this from the descriptions we have of his his personal jewelry, and he's also called an American, but nevertheless still a black boy. Uh, so I think there's a variety of countries or continents. You can look. You can look at Africa. You can look at America. You can look at the Caribbean. You can equally look at India. Uh, but they're all legacies of of Glasgow's relationship with the British Empire. Tony, when we think about the slaves um, living in Glasgow and its surroundings, um, what gender are they? Is it mostly men, or are there women there as well? Equality is a major theme for us. And access to information is a major thing for us. With those two in mind, I've been looking at women as servants um, who I think are a reflection on slavery and who were living in Glasgow in the 1780s and the 1790s. I've been looking at tax records of servants for servants for the city at that time. And what I've found is people who are marked as Negro slaves are amongst the female servants lists. So I found some living in Stockwell, I found some living in John Street, I found some living in Charlotte Street, as well as men. 
but it's the women that I've been particularly interested in because they're overlooked. We've got the Glassford boy and the Glassford painting. We've got images of men, but there must have been women, and I've found some. And what I've found really interesting, they've got names. They've given names like Eliza and Sarah and Chloe. We don't know what their first names were originally, but there's the names that they've been given. So there they are working as servants in the merchant city in New Glasgow. All that wealth that's coming into the city, somehow these are legacies of it. I've looked at some of the uh, where their owners came from or where their masters came from, and some of them come from America after the American Wars of Independence. They come back to Glasgow, they settle here. They already have good form working on the plantations in Carolina, for example. So these people are probably legacies of slavery, direct descendants of the slaves that used to work in the plantations. So I find these kind of stories pretty appealing. And what I find equally fascinating is that Glasgow is the only city in Scotland that seems to have servants like this. So we are, we're, we're, we're interested about Glasgow's indebtedness to slavery and Glasgow's involvement in slavery. These, these kind of facts seem to make the case that there are people in Glasgow who will defend slavery, even though the abolition movement is, is well and truly started after the Joseph Knight case of 1777 when Scotland made a, a, a banned slavery. But the abolitionists from the 1780s and 1790s in England beginning to develop a pace in Edinburgh and, and maybe in Glasgow. So these guys are like holding on to what they have. And then, of course, that correlates to objects that are in the collection. So we have a very small trade token for George Randolph, tobacconist, with a nude Negro sleeve in the background of holding a, a tobacco leaf. And on the other side is three snuff canisters. And Randolph is using the imagery that the old tobacco... Uh, trade cards used to have from the 1760s and the 1750s from London of nude Negro slaves working in the plantations. And even though abolition is on its way, it's a bit like Randolph and his business, like these people who own their slaves or servants as legacies of slavery are hanging on to this legacy of what life was like when Glasgow had its trade links with the American colonies and was Tobacco City. A lot of people will be very surprised, Tony, to hear that Glasgow was so actively involved um, in the slave trade because um, in the past a lot of people thought, oh, it wasn't Glasgow's problem. This Glasgow doesn't have its hands as dirty as places like um, Bristol or even Liverpool. So what you're saying is that that's an absolute myth, is that yeah. Glasgow's hands are as um, dirty as these other ports. Yes, I would. Um, in, in its own way. Uh, it's more subtle uh, than having queues and queues and queues of uh, slaves being put into a ship and then sent away. Here's an example for the customs and excise records that Erin was looking at. We found um, a cargo of muskets that had been purchased from a Liverpool uh, businessman that were being shipped on their behalf to Africa. And it's either going to British forts or it's going to be traded off whether whether an African, let's say from Guinea or from Senegal, in exchange for a human cargo. Also, and back to the Glassford portrait, obviously I looked at John Glassford and I've tried to find out more about his slave boy, but also looked at the other people in the portraits. And he's facing on to uh, his wife, Margaret Mackenzie, his third and last wife. But what the Conservatives found in 2007 the clinic was that the second wife, Anne Nesbitt, was being painted over. So I looked at Anne Nesbitt's life and found that her family are equally involved in slavery in Carolina uh, in America. So you have a matching of, bu of business interests as well as you have maybe personal attraction. So you have slavery meet slavery, if you like. They've both got a vested interest in it. 
So Glasgow's involvement in slavery isn't just about its relationship with Glasgow, its relationship with the British Empire, also its relationship with other parts or other cities in Scotland and the, and the United Kingdom. So yes, they are very deeply involved in it, even though it's not maybe immediately obvious from uh, having uh, the same cargo so that Bristol and Liverpool took. So the Glassford portrait, you've given us a lot of information about that um, portrait. And the other object that um, is in our collection, I wonder if you could share a bit more information about, is an equ- a much more overtly disturbing um, a object, and that is what's called the slave collar. Yeah. Could you share with us the significance and the meaning um, of that particular object? Uh, yeah, um, my colleague Katinka Dalglish, who I've been working with on slavery, knows more than I. But the thing about this, about that collar, she's researched it more. But the thing about that collar is about ownership. Uh, it's a, a, your property uh, rather than a person, uh, with the the name of the Crawford name written on it. That whoever w- wore that around their neck was obviously the the property, the possession of the Crawford family. And if you look at the size of that neck collar, or then you can see how young the child was that was owned. So you're looking at exploitation of children uh, right from the... As soon as they got older, they became less cute to have around the house, I think, and they were sent away and then replaced. And it's, it's, it's an awful awful condemnation of how brutal slavery was to displace a child to, to treat them like as a property and uh, then to replace them uh, willy-nilly uh, when, they, when they became too old it's, it's an horrend- we, we would call it abuse today and it is abuse um, so this is a, a very dark side of Glasgow's past something that perhaps Glasgow would rather forget however I think that museums are about sharing um, the honesty about um, our collections and what they mean um, today because meanings and objects change um, um, as we know. But can you tell me a bit more about um, how we would encourage debate um, about these particular issues? What are we doing to share um, with um, our audiences the current research and encouraging people to even find out for themselves? Well, there's some of the things I've discussed about our commitments to display and work, and I'm aware of some of the work that uh, Learning and Access Department is doing, and Learning Assessments taking walking tours uh, from the People's Palace to Goma with school children, and they're our best hope because they're the next generation of being better informed. So the more information we can provide for, for young people today, the more chances we can change attitudes towards the city that they live in. And it's a moral argument. Morality can change over periods of times about what's socially or politically acceptable and what's not. But in our through our lenses today, equality is a, is a big drive uh, for us and what we value. Uh, everyone's given a, a fair chance wherever Fact. they may come mm. from. So um, there's the walking tours. There's also the digital media that we've got: the Facebook, uh, the web pages, the tweets, and they all ask for dialogue. As, our, as do our tours around GMRC on the theme of slavery, we get a chance to have a conversation with people. And when the conversation flows, there's a genuine interchange of ideas and people can discover the collections for themselves and interpret collections for themselves. So we have more community-led virtual exhibitions, if you like, when they can select out things that they're interested in and we can help interpret it for them. So I'm quite optimistic about the future, about Glaswegians taking ownership of this theme and interpreting it for themselves and finding things for themselves that mean something for them. 
I'm sure uh, many of our listeners, uh, and, and including myself actually, will be very, um, very encouraged to hear um, the work that has been done within museums and also the collaboration with other organisations and also how um, people can actually engage um, more meaningfully in this debate because there'll be a variety of different opinions um, out there and social media, it seems to me, is a really good way um, of capturing and uh, sharing this information. So we're coming to the end now um, of this first podcast and um, this has been absolutely fascinating for us and it reminds me of the importance of bringing hidden histories um, to the forefront so that hidden histories can be explored and um, some of the perhaps more darker sides um, of our city's culture and identity can perhaps be um, explored and discussed um, in a sensible, meaningful fashion. And so I'd thank everybody for um, listening today and I'd also ask everyone to have a look at the Legacies of Slavery blog which will be linked in the description. And remember to check us out on all our social media channels if you haven't already done so. You can use the hashtag GMPodcast to keep this conversation going. Also, if you like what you've heard today, you can follow us right here on SoundCloud so that you never miss an episode. Until next time, I've been Harry Dunlop and this has been the Glasgow Museums Podcast. Thank you very much indeed for listening.